Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. Stay tuned for today's sermon. Enjoy, and God bless.
So I'm not going to try to speak to you of something that I don't know of. Everything that I'm going to tell you is something that I've walked personally. So it's not big me up here looking at you out there saying, you need to, you need to. This is a word that God is still working inside of me. And I pray that as he has given it to me, that I can articulate it to you and that the Holy Spirit can do what he does, right? So let, um, let us turn to Luke 1, 5, 17. And I'm old school. I still carry my Bible. <laughs> so it may take me a minute to get the pages, right? Thank you. So we are going to talk about John the Baptist and Jesus. We are going to see how their lives paralleled a little bit. Both of them were running their assignments simultaneously, and it started off in a very sweet spot, right? So let's, let's read, and then we will dive on in. And if you would like to read with me, you can. It's on the screen, so I will read there, and you can join me. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Remember that. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And let's pause there for a second. And they were both very old. So let's go back to verse 6 for one second. Read that with, with me. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now let's go to seven and read that with me. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So let's take a Selah there. They didn't say righteous in their own eyes. They didn't say righteous in their friend's eyes. They said righteous and blameless in God's eyes, but right after that is a but. And if I insert it in present time, they were still childless because a lot of times as believers, we feel we do our, our just duty and we don't have to go through. We don't have to experience what the world is experiencing because we're exempt. But it's written in Luke 1-7 that although... They were righteous and blameless. They were still childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they had been childless for a while because it says they were very what? Old. Let's keep on reading. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Everybody say appointed time. According to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Community is everything. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Pause. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. A righteous man walking blameless, but still articulating his need to his father. It did not stop him from worshiping. He fulfilled his duty. He fulfilled his assignments. And he still asked God in his very old age 
to open up his wife's womb. Very important. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, hallelujah, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of who? Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the, to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can we just shout? That's, 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 that's exciting, right? So how many in here are parents? Love it. Perfect crowd. Our parents. How would you feel? We're not even going to say an angel. I haven't seen an angel yet. I believe I will. But if the prophet of God, who you deem to be a prophet, came and said, you are expecting, or you were expecting, and this is who God has called your son or daughter to be, how would you feel if that was the word you received? Right? Run around the church. I'm calling my mom. I'm calling Natalie. I'm like, Natalie, girl, God said that he going to be da 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 and he also said that I was going to be, he will be a joy and delight. So that means there's something in it for me also. So the promise came, and it's like, yes. So that sounds extremely, extremely exciting. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, <laughs> How can I be sure of this? You know those mixed reviews? This is his prayer that the angel is answering. But Zechariah is like us. Hold up. Time out. Is this really you? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, like, I'm Gabriel, dude. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Really? And now you will be silent. Everybody say, shh. And not be able to speak until the day this happens because, everybody with me, you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Let's take a little sidebar here. This one, I'm just going to kind of pad it. Sometimes our words make the promises of God of no effect. We speak directly against what he has said, and then we charge him falsely. When it was our own words that set a snare over our, our own situation. How many times does God give us a word? God says, Chris, you are healed. By his stripes, you are healed. But the pain comes, and we start to articulate to our spouse or to a friend that, girl, I'm hurting again. But God said, I'm not concerned about what you see. I'm not concerned about what you feel because we walk by faith and not by sight. So the work is already finished. And as Dr. Miles Monroe said, he's called us to start work that he's already completed. In our finite mind, it's kind of hard for us to understand that and to grasp it. But when healing is mine, whether I walk with a limp or not, by his stripes I'm healed. So what the angel did was a favor. He did us a favor because John the Baptist was key to Jesus coming. He was the red carpet 
that Jesus walked on. And he said, so just in case you decide to open up your mouth, just in case you decide to say the wrong thing and mess it up again, we don't have a plan B this time, okay? You zip it. For nine months, you say nothing. Because the words that I spoke, because I stand in the presence of God, I am Gabriel, they're going to come true. And John had to, Zechariah had to shut it, okay? So I wanted to say that because where we're going, it's important that our words have to line up with our faith because death and life are in the power of the? We all know it. We can all say it. But it's so hard to bridle that thing down, right? Yeah, be honest. You're saying that I'm healed. I remember, this is the truth. I prayed for a person for healing. Y'all were there. You were there too. And she was in a sling. And she told me what the diagnosis was. So I was praying. I was like, yes, God, heal her. So she goes to wrap that sling up. I was like, wait. You sure you want to do that? She was like, yeah, I'm healed. So I'm like cringing inside like, oh, Jesus, please don't let nothing break. And she was healed. But it's so crazy how we speak in faith. We speak under the anointing. But that flesh tries to rise up and say, wait, mixed review. Is this really working? Right? So we have to settle ourselves in the truth of what God is saying. Death and life is in the power of our tongue. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's allow each other to hold each other accountable. So when I'm talking silly, you can say, hey, that ain't the word of God. And instead of me saying, you're right. You're exactly right. And being able to do the same thing. So back to our main events. We are around Luke 1, 20 through 25. And it won't be a long reading of scripture, but I need to set, set, set this. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their, there's that word, appointed time. Go for it. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. What does the number five represent? Grace, unmerited favor. So for five months, Elizabeth took that time for herself because this is an old woman. We, we aren't talking about a young woman. This is an old woman who's been believing God for a long time. And she said, for five months, I just want to keep it to myself. I want to enjoy this moment. I want to relish in the presence of God and just thank him for five months. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In biblical days, a barren woman was a social stigma. She must have done something to deserve to be barren. Something must have been wrong with her. So 
Jesus not only opened her womb, he took away all the chitter chatter. He shut the mouths of the people. And instead of Elizabeth being a lot like us, me, and saying, (laughs) and waiting on that bump, Elizabeth say, it ain't about the people because it wasn't about them in the first place. It's about my Savior and my God. And he opened my womb. So I'm going to bask in this, and I'm going to thank him privately for what he's about to do publicly, right? So then the story jumps to the angel visiting Mary. We'll go back and forth from John the Baptist and Mary. Foretelling the birth of Jesus, unlike Zechariah's, Mary graciously accepts what the Lord is doing. The angel blesses Mary, tells her that not only is she having a baby, but her cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is having a baby too. Yay, God. John the Baptist is born. Zechariah's tongue is loose after he announces that his name is John. It was custom that the baby was named after the father. Jesus was a tradition breaker just all the time. So Zechariah couldn't talk. Elizabeth names the baby. They try to shush her into a corner. God say, now you can talk. His name is John. What? (laughs) And then they start to talk about that because people will always talk. Like, let's just settle that and move forward, right? So... After he named, his, his name is John, almost immediately, Zechariah is filled with the Spirit of God and begins to prophesy about the vastness of John's assignment. I will tell you the scripture. You can go and read it, but we won't land, land there. It's Luke 1, 76 through 79. And in the prophecy, it's just admonishing again and confirming who God said, who the angel said John would be, okay? Zechariah now is walking by the Spirit of God. Not long after Jesus is born, the wise men seek him out with, with gifts. The angel makes, makes the announcement, behold, great, great tidings. The wise men come. They lay gifts at his feet. Everyone's excited, and it's another birth. So now we have John the Baptist, and we have Jesus coming. Simeon comes, a devout man, in Luke 2, 29 through 33. He gives a prophecy concerning the Savior, His prophecy was fulfilled when he had a chance to see Jesus because that was the promise that he got from God. And he also gave Mary and Joseph a word, but they don't say anything about Mary and Joseph proceeding. They were marveling at what he said about their son. But there was a second part of that. Let's go to, to that. Luke 2, 29 through 33. And this was not in my notes, so... We're going to be, be patient. Luke 2, 29 through 33. Simeon is prophesying. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He was waiting to die. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation for the Gentile, to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Go a little further. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Keep going. 
so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your, your own soul too. Keep going. There was also a prophet, so it switches. It totally switches. It says nothing about marrying them, perceiving anything. When he was prophesying about the son, marrying them were marveling. They were probably still in that state of great googly moogly. This is a savior. But there was a little excerpt there, very important, that is just kind of mentioned and it moves forward, which a lot of times when we receive the promises of God, when we get that word, that we're so googly moogly. Healing is ours, but he didn't tell me I was going to have to suffer through sickness. He didn't tell me that I was going to have to have to watch family get buried. He didn't tell me that part. Can I still praise him when the promise is in process? Because we want to get the promise with no process. But Jesus didn't even obtain the promise without process. And if we're created in his image and his likeness, then that is all-encompassing. We don't get to share his glory, Nate, and not pick up our cross and bear it. So what both parents did not know was the intense agony that both of their sons would suffer as their God-given purposes and destinies unfolded. The question that I often ponder is why are we okay with the promises as long as it doesn't lead to pain. Why do we so often copy and paste our purposes, but so conveniently crop, crop out our persecution? The scriptures on my wall, guilty as charged. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I don't come behind in anything. I lack nothing. My children are blessed. My family is blessed. And we walk in the promises of the Lord. My declaration. But I don't go to a Peter like Ashley shared when she walked through her own trial that God told her that you're going to have to suffer a little while. But afterwards. But that was the word that God gave her. He didn't say that we wouldn't go through. He said, as a matter of fact, to count it pure joy. When tests and trials come. But in our carnality, in our finite mind, looking at things through our senses, we become a lot like the world. So when the problems fluctuate, we fluctuate. Self-included. Remember, this is about me too. When things don't calibrate, we're unbalanced, and we find ourselves in the valley of mixed reviews. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. So what do we do when the promise and the process don't agree? So John was preaching in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist baptized all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all of the region around the Jordan. He openly challenged the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And you got to realize, John was out in the woods. He was eating locusts and honey. He was covered in camel hair. We're not talking about somebody that was nice and polished. 
but he was challenging the teachings, Chris, of those who were polished, of those who society deemed as the moral status. He rebuked them. Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he asked John to baptize him. What? John was like, uh, nope. <laughs> that wasn't in my contract. <laughs> You're God. I know it's you. They don't know, but I'm good. He said, look, stop tripping, John. I have to fulfill all righteousness because I'm still a man. I'm still a mortal. I still have to be blameless according to the law. Please, I need you to just get with the program and baptize me. The heavens open up, the dove descends, God speaks, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So we equate a lot of times, or I'll say I, I won't say we, I won't pull you into my junk. The anointing was here, because we got warm fuzzies and we might have shook a little bit, and then we get up and we are walking through the same thing. We still don't speak to that sister out the door because she made us mad last week. And it's like, but the anointing was here. I felt it in my spirit, but nothing changed. Either I'm a lie or God is. And since I know my inconsistencies, I'm a demon me. Because the word tells me that where the anointing is, it destroys the what? So if the anointing is present, things shift, things happen. John the Baptist sees the heavens, heaven and earth stood still to take moment, to witness this moment. The heavens open and they open. The sun is shining down. A descent of dove descends from the heavens, lights on his shoulder. And God smiles and said, this is my boy. And I'm pleased. And John the Baptist was sent to do all of this. So the word is being confirmed. He's preparing the way. So then, almost immediately, Jesus is swept away to the wilderness to be tempted by who? The devil. And shortly after, John is put in where? Jail. In the words of Ania, what is going on here? What is going on here? You mean, I just came out of the manifested presence of God. You mean the heavens. I'm not talking about just having a feeling. I'm talking about everybody in this room saw it. It's undeniable. And you mean I don't get to go eat lunch with Jesus and we can talk about it at Cracker Barrel and just talk about the goodness of God? What is going on here? And it said that Jesus was led by who to the wilderness? The Spirit. The spirit. John goes to where? Jail. Prison. Because he challenged the leaders of the day with the truth of the word of God. So he didn't go to jail because he was doing something wrong. He was carrying out his assignment. How many of us look at situations in other lives, in the lives of others, and say, oh, well, he must have been doing something. That's, that's, that's what happened, because if he was living like he was supposed to. But in the word, it's telling us that John went to jail because he was obedient to what God told him to, that he challenged and said, you didn't need to touch his wife. 
And he said, lock them up. <laughs> Jesus is now in the wilderness, 40 days, human flesh, just like us. So Jesus triumphs victoriously. Every time Satan comes, what does Jesus respond with, Nate? With the word of God, it is written. It is written. Satan came back again, Jesus, boom, it is written. Satan come back again, it is written. Satan got a little tired, he tried one more, it is written. All right, I'm good for a second. I'm going to go and regroup, get my game plan, because he's solid. This ain't working. Jesus gets up. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He starts going into his ministry. John is in jail, like us. A lot, well, like me, like me, like me. I'm not going to put you in my stuff. John is in jail, like me, saying, oh, Lord. I didn't know this was a part of the assignment. Maybe something off. Hold on. Um, disciples, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything? Because I don't remember in my notes when um, the Holy Spirit came that he told me that I was going to have to be in jail. This is something new. So John is struggling. John is having a moment. Who wouldn't have a, have a moment when you're fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God, doing exactly what he said, and you find yourself shackled up, bound up, and chained up? So we can't look at John like, oh, John, no. He was doing exactly what his father told him to, and it still led him to prison. Let's read Matthew 11, 1 through 6. As John begins to struggle as the tensions and the pressure tighten. When John had finished instructing his when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, everybody read with me, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Let's pause. Mixed reviews. Okay? This is the same John, Dustin, who just baptized Jesus. The heavens just opened up. The dove just came down. He just heard the voice of God along with everybody else saying, this is my son with whom I am well. And if we back it up a little bit more, John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So before all of the signs and wonders came, he perceived by the Spirit of God that he was who he said that he was. But in the hour of his greatest need, the greatest moment of turmoil that John has ever experienced in his little anointed life, he finds himself here. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Let's keep reading. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone, by the way, John, who does not stumble on account of me. Okay, that was kind of harsh. Time out. Okay? 
But why did God respond to John the way that he did? Because John was a forerunner. He didn't have time to play. He didn't have time to fluff. Death and eternal life were hanging in the balance. It was not a matter of patting John on the back to make him feel good in unbelief. If John had opened up his mouth in unbelief and it took root through the disciples, you and I may not be sitting here today. So there was a cost. And it's very important that as leaders, we understand and proceed by the Spirit of God. And for every believer here, you're a leader. You are picking up your cross and bearing it. So I'm not just talking to fivefold here. I'm talking to us believers who are called to carry out an assignment that sometimes it may not be fluff. I remember this one here is like a little tiger. I can call and be like, oh, Natalie, oh, God, the world is ended. I don't know what to do. Girl, put on some Fran Hammond and shut up. Okay. Because she knows that the garments of praise offset the spirit of heaviness. So she don't have time to play with principalities. She has to give me the word so that stuff can back up so I can stay focused and carry out the assignment that God has called us to corporately and individually. So Jesus did not have time to play with John's flesh. He didn't have time to go back and forth and say, oh, John, I'm so sorry that you're sitting in jail. You know what? I could just send a word over there, and you can come on out of there and let me prove that I am who I said I am. Jesus said again, it is written. Because if we go back to Isaiah, it was written over 400 years ago. The prophetic word had went forth that when God came, that the deaf would hear, that the blind would see, that the lame would walk, that the dead would be raised. So the same tools that Jesus used, Aaron, the same tools, when he was in the wilderness, he said, now you got to go and do likewise because it doesn't make sense while you're sitting in jail. But I didn't call it to make sense. I called you to walk out your obedience by the Spirit of God. Don't be deceived by what you see. Don't be moved by what you feel. It is written. Now, immediately, oh, I love Jesus because he, he was a bad dude. He turns to the crowd and he begins to admonish John. Why is he doing this? Why, in a sharp rebuke that he ended with, now, blessed is he who ain't offended. So, basically, John, get your life together. We don't have time to his disciples. So then he turns around to the crowd and he says, man, John is a good dude. Man, John a bad dude. There is none greater than John who has came out of the womb. Why? Because he's his brother's keeper. He was a safe place. So even in the midst of John struggling with a little something, something, even in the midst of John having a moment of doubt, even in the midst of John acting like what we would say a baby, Jesus said, no, 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 don't get it twisted. That's my dude. And I got him. Don't for one moment think that he's not who I said he was, because he is, and a little more. The question I pose is, can we be trusted? In times 
of vulnerability, in times of weakness, can we be trusted to give people the truth and then not talk about them as soon as they leave? Can I bear my pearls to Claudia and tell her, man, I've been struggling. Man, man, I've been trying to keep myself, but it's been, it's been a little rough. And I slipped up, but, mmm. And I'm singing on the praise team, too, by the way. But I want you to pray because I'm going to leave it alone. I just need a little help. Can you act as a womb? Can you carry that to the Lord in prayer? Can you speak to it and still deem them to be the woman and the man of God that God has called them to be? Or do you discredit when people start getting a little vulnerable? When I show you my stuff. When I show you that I'm not all the way happy. When I show you that sometimes I don't like my husband, I love him. When I show you sometimes that my children get on my nerves. Or do you say, oh, she can't work with mine. Mm -mm. In my moment of vulnerability, in my moment of doubt, in my moment of unbelief, can I trust you to speak the truth to me? Correct me? Rebuke me? But then still deem me to be and encourage me to be and restore me to the place that God has called me to. So let's go to verse 7. 7 through 10. And let's just hear how Jesus talked about John because I think it was just amazing. As John's disciples were leaving, he waited till the disciples left cold. Never cold. He was like, y'all don't need to hear this part. Y'all go tell them what I said. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it, it is written, in case you forgot. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of, of, of heaven is greater than he. That was Jesus' words about his fellow brother who was in unbelief, who was doubting the very assignment after all the signs, after all the wonders. We are rolling them out at this, this, this point. This was Jesus' words when their backs were turned. To the crowd. What taste are you leaving people with when you walk away? What words are you spewing about your neighbor, about your sister, about your brother, about your friend? What aroma, what essence, even if they have a moment of weakness? And can we be woman of God enough and woman, man of God enough? To right that wrong and say, 
Man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said none of that. I was wrong. Pastor Baron, my bad. I should have just shut up. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. So words don't just leave because you stop speaking them. You ever walk into a room and nobody's saying anything but you know that they were talking about you? God showed it to me recently. He said, because those words are in the atmosphere and they're doing this all around you. And though the mouths are shut, though the mouths are shut, they're still running around. You're not going to ever be nothing. You're not going to ever have, have anything. Look at them. Look at her. And before you know it, you didn't change your sister and your, bro and your brother up and yourself too. Because the word tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. How many quoted? I do. So if I'm a weapon formed against my brother or my sister, then I'm not prospering, they not prospering, and we just like some crabs in a bucket. And then we blame God because his promises aren't true. He isn't who he said he is, but just maybe he is exactly what you said he was. Just maybe your words, maybe your doubts, a little gossip here, a little whisper there, have negated the very assignment that you've prayed for, that you've believed for, that you've worked for. Now, what led John here? This is the same John the Baptist from Matthew and from Luke that not only prepared the way for the Messiah, but identified when he made his debut in the land. What happened? The answer is quite simple. John found himself in a place that he never thought he would have to experience. You see, the prophetic word came about the Messiah and his sacrifice. But what John did not know was that he was going to have to sacrifice as well. How many times do we act as John? We love Jesus. I love God. He ain't bad, God. What's wrong with Jesus? <laughs> we shout Jesus. We sing Jesus. We dance Jesus. We preach Jesus. But as soon as the test comes, as soon as persecution arises, as soon as the pain lingers for a moment too soon, we question the very Jesus that we claim to serve. And we find ourselves, Mario, saying, are you the one? Or do I look for another? Because honestly, it was better when I was in the world anyway. I didn't have to go through all of this. Been there, done that. Are you the one? And when the Holy Spirit said, when the pain lingers a moment too long it was key because most of us have a tolerance level of pain that we can deal with so it's like okay if the pain stays right here Cherie, then I'm good but when the pain goes beyond what I can naturally tolerate now I find myself questioning what he said when my life and all that I know to be true is challenged, now I'm wondering if he really is who he said he is. I remember
remember, and my mom and my dad and Ro, they were all in the delivery room when I was laboring with asthma. I don't do epidurals, and I labor, I'm not superwoman, I just like to feel my leg, that's all. <laughs> that's all. I don't have any, any big reason. I just don't like not feeling my leg. But Aslan got stuck at seven. And for all of my women who know, I'm in active labor. The contractions are coming. I'm in pain. But the pain now, Nurse Kiva, is going beyond what I can physically tolerate. I've never been here before. I don't know what this feels like. I delivered Ania, and we had pain. But I've never been at this level of pain. My body is starting to convulse. The sound waves in the room are starting to hurt. I can feel my dad walking up to me because the heat from his body is causing my skin to stand up. And I'm like, don't touch me before he gets there. And they're laughing in the room too. But it was serious. I could feel him coming and it was hurting me that he was behind me. I could feel the heat from his body. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, I need an epidural. I need an epidural. The nurse is like, nope. <laughs> it's too late. Because I gave her the plan before I went into labor. I told her what I wanted and what my expected outcome was before the pain came. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is the plan. This is why. But in the moment of pain, I can't, I can't, I don't care about the plan. I can't see the plan. All I know is I'm hurting. And she's like, mm, by the time it gets here, it's just not going to work. Go sit in a rocking chair and rock. I can't because my body is hurting me. They put me in a rocking chair. Things start to progress a little. But at this point, and I told my mama this, I wish to death. I was like, if you just let me black out, if you just let me go under, because I can't take it anymore. I can't. I'm about to abort my assignment and not only take out my life, but possibly put my child in danger because the pain is escalating to a point that I was not prepared physically or mentally to handle. So we put on the music. Bethel, letting go. Don't know how it came on, but that was the playlist. I'm letting go. And she's just singing. And Holy Spirit says, let go. Let go. Let go. And I'm warning my mind. Okay, okay, okay. Tap in. Tap in, Ariel, to the spiritual. I know you're hurting in the natural, but let go. Let go. Let him do what he, only he can do. Let your body open up. It needs to just open up, and you, can, you will be good in a minute. And then he tells me, because the pain is temporary, but my grace is eternal. Because the pain is temporary, but my love is eternal. Because the pain is temporary, but my word is eternal. So I begin to stabilize myself in between debilitating contractions. And I try to relax so that my body can do what it needs to do to bring forth the life that God, in, God has destined for it to. Within an hour, hour and a half, it's time to push. As and comes, nothing's missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. Everything functioned according to his original design and purpose, just like God said, said it, it would. I didn't have anything that I needed to be looked at, checked. They took me off the IV. I could go walk to the room. Nurse, nurse my baby and chill. But the process 
between conception, that was fun, <laughs> and delivery was a whole lot of pain that almost caused me to forfeit my entire assignment and my unborn child's assignment, Chris, because that's what pain unchecked will do to you. But the Spirit of God, but a father who ever lives to make intercession, when he comes in the room, nobody sees him, but you can hear him, and he whispers and he says, hold on a little longer, David. He says, because the pain is temporary, but my love for you is eternal. The pain is temporary. Though your body's shivering and it's wrecking with pain and you don't know how much more I can take because I'm thinking at this point death is better than what I'm feeling because I've never been here before. But, baby, it's temporary. And my love for you is eternal. So he caused me to recalibrate because I had to take authority because my body and my mind were sending mixed reviews. And then after it was all over with, my nurse Trina down at Crestwood, love that lady, haven't seen her since, but I love her. She said, aren't you glad you didn't have that epidural? You mean I still had, yeah, but that's not what you said you wanted. I stuck to the plan, and I kissed her face because she hardly ever left my side. She was encouraging me the entire time, and she stuck to the plan, even when the pain was present, and it caused me to utter things that I really didn't mean. (laughs) Who is your midwife? Who is your co-laborer? Who is the one that God has assigned to you to help you walk out your assignment? When you walk in with a limp, who is the crutch? One of mine is sitting right there. The little silent force, Kiva. I call her my nurse angel. And I'm going to try to not get emotional. But when I lost two of my children, she was there. We may not sit down and talk and have dinner. We may not dance and stay up until the sun rises. But when trauma hits my life, when things threaten to take out my very life and cause me to forfeit my God-given assignment and my call, this lady is one who God has called to pick up the phone and say, how you do? Girl, it's a bad day today. It's your birthday tomorrow. What you doing? Nothing. Nothing. My body is actively miscarrying, and this is the second time. And I believe that God would give my baby a heartbeat, even though I didn't see it on the screen. We've been standing in faith for about a month now. And I didn't think I was going to have to walk this again. What you doing for your birthday? Nothing. So what you telling me is, Ariel, the way you feel now, you feeling a little bad. You planning to feel that way tomorrow in the morning? So you planning out depression for next week because of the pain you feel right now in this moment? I bust out laughing, and she'll tell you. 
with tears in my eyes because the Holy Spirit used her boldness and authority to say, get up. She said, it's okay for you to be present and feel what you feel right now in this moment. It's a loss. But you got to know that your God is greater, your assignment is greater than this moment that you are feeling. So you got to push past it. So when I woke up, I combed my hair, I took a shower, I combed Ania's hair, she picked me up for lunch, we went and had lunch, I saw a movie, I went to Bridge Street, and I took a picture, I posted it on Facebook, standing on the waterfall. And it was a John the Baptist and Jesus moment for me. The heavens opened, the dove descended, and I feel like my daddy said, this is my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. What is your response to pain? What is your response to the trials that God brings your way? What do you do when you're not physically compared, prepared for what you have to walk through? We must learn to be like Jesus, to endure hardship as a good soldier. Think about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and 36. He had to battle his flesh in prayer. His friends could not carry him any further. This meeting was between him and the Father. So although I'm thankful for Tiva, there still was moments when she couldn't get to me. There were still moments when my husband didn't have a word. There were still moments when I toiled with that thing over and over saying, but God, we weren't even trying to have a baby. And now, da, da, da. And, and I had to go to my daddy and I had to reason. And I had to cry, and I had to articulate exactly what I was feeling. And I had to let the process of time have its perfect work. I think it's something like let patience have its perfect work so that you'll be mature and lacking for nothing. That's real. That's real. There isn't an exit door. We always look for the exit door. There isn't an exit. Sometimes we got to put our helmet on and go in, knowing that the God that goes before us is greater than the problem that lies in the midst of it. And though he gave us a word, the vision may tarry, but what did he say in his word? Wait for it. A day to our Father is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. He is not governed by our time, but he is always right on time. Search out his promises. Keep them before your eyes. Keep them in your mouth and in your ears. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The key to your faith lies in his word. Pray and ask God to give you a deeper love for his word, a deeper insight of who he is. He is a father, our father. And what parent does not want their children to have everything that they need? Jesus went through trials. Paul went through trials. David went through trials. Saul went through trials. Elijah went through trials. Ariel went through trials. Put your name in the block. You're going to go through trials. But rejoice because as you, as we are going through trials, God's glory is being revealed in us.
drove at me to see what's there. My husband was in the room, and it was just he and I. And I said, call Kiva. I need her here now. He walked out the door to go use his phone. And then he turned back around within a few seconds. And I looked, and I said, what's going on? He said, Kiva outside the door. I said, what? She was talking to my doctor, because she was a nurse, finding out what was happening and what needs to happen. And she came in the room, and she said, I'm serious. Because I've been watching you. I've been watching you walk through this fight. I've been watching how you fought with this patient. And it's encouraged me to keep mine. That concludes today's sermon. Thanks again for tuning in to the Restoration Foursquare Church audio podcast. We pray that today's sermon has encouraged and empowered your journey in following Jesus. If you'd like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.